So, so that was us. I mean, in the 100 meters when I competed, it was a heavyweight uh, boxing match, but you're not fighting one person. You're fighting seven and seven at a time. Hello and welcome back to Detours, a glory sports podcast. I am your host, Ben Mattello, and on today's episode, we had a very, very special guest. We had the chance to speak with a Canadian legend, a sprinting legend, and one of the best Canadian athletes of all time, Donovan Bailey. Over the course of our chat, we spoke about many things, from his meteoric uprise to the world of sprinting, to the championship mentality, to the adversity he faced throughout his career. It was a wonderful talk, and I will say, going from watching him on TV or on YouTube to seeing him in person, there's a certain aura, a certain swagger about him that emits a championship pedigree and mentality. He is one of the most hardworking people I've ever met, and naturally, one of the most successful, whether it's in the world of athletics or the world of business. So that being said, Get comfortable, kick your feet up, wherever you are listening from. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, so first of all, thank you so much for coming and doing this with us. I appreciate it. From a Milton guy to an Oakville guy. We're, we're, we're suburban men, so it's we're a good thing. <laughs> yes, we're out it, in the burbs, man. It works. It yeah, works. It does. So I really want to begin at your childhood home in Jamaica, where you would listen to sports on your grandfather's radio. Was that when you fell in love with the spirit of competition or sports in general? Yeah, you know what? I, 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 I think that um, one of the awesome things about listening to a radio when you're really tiny is that you can actually feel the energy and you can actually see it. So uh, this is, I mean, this is definitely dating me, but it's, I think it's um, before, I, could, I mean, obviously we had a black and white television, but, you know, we had one channel. It gonna, wasn't going to happen. We weren't seeing uh, what we're hearing on the radio. But I think that um, some of the incredible broadcasters, uh, some of the incredible journalists that, that existed then, um, they, could, they could speak and, and, and almost inject this feeling um, and, and give you a, an intense visual. So uh, as a child, I, I mean, I love hearing, but you could, I, I love hearing the comment, commentary, but I also thought, um, I, also, I also could visualize um, you know the actual picture of it so so it was in, it was incredible yes so i did fall in love with the competition then that's fantastic so when you have that natural right love for sports and it's born there when you moved to canada in 1980 and you come here and at that time there was this very rich culture of canadian hockey and just a love of, of hockey and we were so many superstars how did you find that cultural shift when you first arrived you know what? I, I never looked at it as a cultural shift. I mean, when I came to Canada, I mean, obviously, I was I, I found myself entrenched in in being Canadian, uh, and what I loved about it is the is the actual um, that patriotism and intense support for hockey, and and the fact that we embrace it as a sport, uh, and we want to dominate the world. So I I, I mean, so for me, uh, you know, a lot of times people. Uh, talk about my intensity in competition. All I did was steal it from from uh, from the hockey culture. Yeah, no, it's, it's it is a very intense culture, and it helps when you have fighting as well. I mean, that, that's what makes <laughs> hockey hockey, right? It is what it is, man. And, and as Canadians, <laughs> I think we are known as Canadians. You're known around the world as these uh, nice, calm people who apologize for everything until a hockey game breaks up. <laughs> that's you the only I mean? area where there are no rules. Absolutely. Um, so later on in your time here, uh, you attended Sheridan College. You're on the basketball team. You do a full year, but then you drop out with the goal of 
creating generational wealth and becoming rich. Similarly to your mindset with sprinting, did you like know you were going to succeed or were you nervous at any point? You know what, I, I've never, I, I think that the, for me, failure is not a word in my language ever. Uh, so whatever it is I pursue, I, I pursue it uh, and, and I give it my all. I, you know, they always talk about, um, you know, having your eggs in all these separate places. And I always had my eggs in one basket and I was always going to bet on myself. And that, maybe that was something that was taught to me. And, or maybe that's something that, um, uh, that because I had such incredible support system and my parents uh, supported me so much that uh, it didn't really matter to me. So, so to your question... Uh, there's really nothing that that I've ever done that, although there are things that I've done which are stupid, some of them, um, that that I, there's like a 10% chance of, uh, of of winning or succeeding. I'm gonna bend on myself still, and I'm gonna go ahead. So yeah, so I, I don't, I don't. My mindset's never been that I, I'm gonna fail at something. And did you have that same mindset when you decided, when you were already well established and you had property and you had a baby on the way, did you have that same mindset when you decided to go and pursue sprinting? Or like, was there any chance of a plan B or was this just it? Oh, there's never plan B. There was never, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, obviously I had business and, and I could come back. I always feel, when I left Canada, to go and train and to and and I for me it was it was a it was a window that was closing and it was and for me it was an age thing I was like I'm still very young and at the time I felt that I, I didn't at the, I, the only responsibility that I had was business and if business fails so what but there's a baby on the way and I'm like oh my god uh, if there's there's no other time this is it right here so um so yeah but I never I never felt that there was gonna be like for me it's if I'm given the opportunity, there's zero chance that I'm not going to capitalize on it. Okay. So let's go to the beginning of your career. So you were very dominant domestically in Canada as well as when you were doing races in Jamaica. Right. Um, but as life goes, with every success story, you're going to face your fair share of adversity. Um, after all the success that you had early on in every race that you pretty much competed in, how did it feel going into your first Pan Am Games and not doing as well as you wanted to do? Oh, wow. Uh, the, yeah, you know what? The first, well, my first Pan Am Games, I think that, uh, well, in 1991 in, in, in Havana, <clears throat> you know what? I just got scared. I, first of all, uh, I took it as a life lesson. That's the number one thing. Um, I knew what my expectation was. Maybe the coaches, and that's probably fueled my career, the coaches didn't realize how good I was or how intense my drive was. Uh, so making it, um, being at the Pan Am Games, coming out uh, to a full stadium at the, at, the, in, in, at the finals of a 100 meters in Havana, Cuba, and just getting scared. I got caught up in the glamour. I got caught up in the, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Funny enough, I thought that I was planning, like if I, if I were going to be honest with myself, in the 100 meters, I was actually planning to do, I was planning to figure out, I was planning to... Um, to, I was trying to find out fr within myself uh, what, how I was going to celebrate after winning. That's probably, to be honest. You were thinking that far ahead <laughs> I was already. thinking, I was like, oh yeah, I'm not getting the blocks. I, I, I'm, I don't fear these guys. I'm going to crush them. Uh, so, so with that being said, I did get lost in the crowd. Yep. And I was not good. <laughs> and, I was, and I was not good at all. But, but I'm just saying to you, even in that moment, um, I thought about... Um, a positive outcome. Yep. 
but I also, I also knew that it was an incredible life lesson for me because uh, when uh, the race was over and I realized how many mistakes I made um, because I got lost in something and not focused on exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, I realized that, again, that opportunity is never going to, I'm never going to have that opportunity again or I'm never going to be in that situation again and squander it. Yep. So similarly to what you just said, something that really resonated with me while reading your book was the line that your mother would tell you when something didn't go your way. And that was, it's just not your time yet. And it's, it's so simple, but it's such a profound statement. So in times like that or in times in the future from that moment, did you use that mentality in everyday life as well as in sprinting? Well, the short answer is yes. However, I have no patience. <laughs> uh, so, so I think that, I mean, as a child, I think it's very important. Again, I'm a mama's boy, and I apologize to no one for that. Um, but, and, and so as a, as a child, you kind of go, okay, fine. Fine, it's not my time. Fine, it's not my time. But I think that as you get to, to, to an adult uh, and, you, and you're in sports or now you're, it's in life or it's in business, you kind of go, well, it is my time. I have worked my ass off mm-hmm. and so it is my time. However, uh, my mom's voice is still there in the back of my brain and, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, after you getting, after you get out the emotional part of, of, of whatever hard work brings and whatever results it might or might not bring, uh, then that little voice is always there. So I can always, uh, you know, sit back, go rest on, a, on my pillow when I get home and go, ah, it's just not your time. So speaking on that, because it is mentality and all champions have something in them that makes them champion. It's just the way that sports is in every sport. And as I'm following your career, I'm looking through it. And there are moments where at such a young age, you're, dis- you're declaring yourself to the world stage. From answering Rob, Rod Black when he asked you who you were, Donovan Bailey, remember the name. Or telling Glenroy Gilbert, when I'm the king here and I run shit, this will never happen. Right. So Forget all that. this is like, <laughs> you're, you're a young athlete, right? And at that time, oh. even, even though you're, you're very young, do you, did you have any doubts about who you were going to be? You know what? No. Um, you know, uh, I have an incredible relationship with my parents. Uh, again, I, I mentioned I'm a mama's boy, but my father gave me great direction, and 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 uh, and, and, and and I guess the the parameters in which he allowed me to be a a, a young man. Uh, there was nothing I, I there's nothing I felt I couldn't do. Uh, the bottom line is for me is I always talk about mentorship and support system because if you do that with your kids, the, that kid knows that no matter what happens in life, they probably can come back home. And so I know, although I was taught to be independent and taught to be on my own, the things that, that uh, the, the nuances, I guess, of being a parent and, or having that, that such a great uh, support system around me uh, was that I knew I was loved. I knew I, could, uh, I could, I knew I could challenge myself every day. And the two people that cared the most about me in the world uh, you know, was supporting me in anything I did. Yeah, it's fantastic. So along with having two very supportive parents, you've met, you met a lot of people along the way who played very big roles in your life. And the two that I like, I think that played a very big part of your life were Molly Killingbeck and obviously Dan Pfaff. 
Okay. So a couple more, but yeah, a couple, a couple but more. Those but, are, like, those, but, like, but those are pretty big ones. They're yes. pretty big ones, right? And especially when you <clears> consider, <throat> in terms of Molly's case, when you kept on getting passed over by Team Canada, right? And for you, you know, you knew in that moment, I'm faster than everybody here. I can beat anybody here, but I'm not getting picked. Right. Do you think that there was something larger at play, or were they just? Was it simply just? They don't like me, and they're not picking me, and it's not my time yet. You know what? I, I mean, you just said it. I, I just think that, that in, I mean, I think in reflecting, maybe it wasn't my time. I mean, that's, much, that's, mom, that's mom speaking in my ear. Uh, you know, but I think that um, regardless of what happens in life, I think if you get up and you do positive things and you work really hard, uh, there's going to be, like, you're going to have guardian, angel, guardian angels. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think Molly was one. Molly and Dan t- were two people, for sure. I mean... Molly, because she had gone through the system, uh, she knew a lot of the, the, the in and outs and some of the routes that I did not or I cared to know about. And, uh, and, and she also understood that, I mean, my impatience was affecting it. And, uh, and so it, with my impatience uh, and emotion, then, then, you know, maybe the ability for me to go work hard and to put every, and to absorb all the information that Dan was giving me in practice to be a better sprinter, I wasn't going to do it. So when, but so she was always the person I could actually speak to. I mean, the, the, anything about track and field in this country, Molly was always the person that could actually have a conversation with and dealing with the people uh, in this country. And Dan was one of the best teachers. Dan is just, Dan is someone, I mean, to this day, I can pick up the phone, I can call Dan, and we can talk about anything, like absolutely anything. I mean, we can talk about, you know, any topic, politics, uh, you know, uh, rearing kids, uh, being parents, uh, coaching. Uh, he and I can talk about any topic. And I just think that he's just, he's probably one of the smartest human beings that I know, someone who's very well, well-versed. And um, the frustration I had with every coach, uh, before every track coach before Dan was, a lot of the track coaches weren't, didn't really understand the body, didn't really understand how it works. And any question I had for Dan, because I, was, I am still the Y kid, uh, or I was the white kid, and I'm, I'm that, maybe I'm the white man now. Uh, Dan was one of those people that w- he would either research it. First of all, he'd give me the answer. If he had it, he'd give me the answer right away. If he didn't have the answer, uh, his vast uh, network that he has around the planet, he would probably call someone or, in, you know, he'd call people today because Dan hates emails. Um, uh, you know, and he would get the information, whatever I need, and, and he would just he'd say, hey, I got your answer. Here's what it is. And so in competition, Dan was that way. I mean, Dan could, that, that, I mean, it's funny because I get asked quite a bit. It's like, oh, when you're walking, first time you and Dan were walking, for instance, in the 1995 World Championships, um, we're walking towards, uh, the, the, towards the final, the start of the 100 meters, and they're asking me about the, the, um, the start and what this big motivational speech that Dan had. Dan was very much like my dad, man. He was just kind of like, well, uh, I've done what I can. Let's see what you got. And that was it. And that, and that, and so straightforward. No, right? Phenomenal. And again, that, so Dan was really just like, um, he was like, he basically should have been Uncle Dan, you know, for me, yeah. because, because he, he, we, we, we connected instantly. Uh, and, um, and he was someone who, who taught well. And, and, um, and if he saw that I was distracted, he, he, would, he had his ways of telling me to you know, get rid of whatever is distracting me in yeah. order for me to come back and absorb as much information that he was giving me. 
Beautiful. Um, so throughout <coughs> your time, obviously training with Dan, you became the champion that you are today. Um, and leading in to 1996, specifically Atlanta, there was a lot of distractions leading to that race. <laughs> like, like that, and that's an understatement. <coughs> understatement, you, yeah. You had, of course, that your injury. Um, you had the Centennial Olympic Park bombing, the horrible tragedy. Uh, and then when you get to the starting line, there's not one, two, there's three false starts. Right. And Linford Christie's disqualified. So I want to know, since sprinting is such a mentally... You have to be so mentally focused, mm -hmm. so ready to go. Everything has to be perfectly working. How were you not thrown off by all of these things, and how did you maintain your focus? Oh, you know what? Uh, um, wow, great question, actually. Uh, I, I think that it maybe is my singular thought. And, and maybe when I walked to the line in Atlanta, I was thinking about when I walked to the line in Havana. That's what it was. Uh, you know, I, I walked to the line in Atlanta. And, and also, I was a reigning champion. And there's so much more weighing on me winning or... I wasn't trying to break a world record, really. I, I was just like, I'm going to take what... I'm going to do what it takes to win. Yeah. But I just think that um, it, it was an incredible place. Uh, it was an incredible position to be. Uh, when I started track and field, I, I, I really accepted the responsibility of not only carrying the sport uh, on my back, but carrying Canada, carrying Jamaica, carrying my culture, being a black guy... I mean, and, and also, um, it was the responsibility. I know that my mom and my dad were watching. And if I disappointed both of those people, I couldn't live with it. So I think that, uh, you know, my single-mindedness when I got to the line was that, yeah, here's an opportunity, and I don't care what it is. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. I d it didn't really matter to me because, again, we, you talk about the, you know, the, 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 the bombing. I had an injury. Um, the racist comments uh, from... From, yeah. uh, from Sports Illustrated, uh, yeah. and the false start, T to name a few, right? Just, just a couple. <laughs> just a couple, right. So, so it didn't, yeah, it didn't really, I mean, and, and of course, um, the weight of, of, of me being the sprinter that was representing Canada and being a world champion post Ben Johnson. Yeah. Like, 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 I mean, a, a lot of times people don't talk about that enough, but, but it is what it is. I mean, and for me, again, I accepted responsibility. Uh, you know, I'm never taking drugs. I'm a drug-free athlete. But, but I, also, I also realized that, um, you know, there was a lot of kids watching. And it wasn't just about track and field to me. You know, I mean, uh, we talk about the mentality of hockey before. It was just kids watching. And it was just kids that had a dream. And whether that, that dream was to be a basketball player, a football player. I mean, when I, you know, you know, when I think about, like, someone like Drake who kind of, you know, he pops up, loves Canada, but he's conquering the world, man. I mean, so, so I mean, when I think about, like, like, what it represents, obviously reflecting, when you think about what it represents, it was, it was all of those things. Yeah, perfect. Um, so let's transition to your life post-sprinting. Uh-oh. When, <laughs> when you look at the <coughs> environment of sprinting now, obviously back then, as you wrote in your book, there were... You could be training with Dan, and it would be great. You guys would be creating greatness together, and it's a wonderful environment. But when you hit the track and it's race time, there's animosity, there's rivalry, and things are very, very heated and competitive. Do you think that today's sort of era of sprinting is just as heated and there's just as many rivalries as back in when you were doing it and winning medals? Maybe. I think maybe. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think it was... There, okay, let's put it this way. 
there are guys that I beat that it still hurts them today and we're <laughs> and we're and we're and we're old and retired like it hurts uh, them you know what i mean yeah, yeah. it physically hurts them uh and or, or mentally or psychologically i have no idea um but when i watch the kids compete now yeah i i think that they have like these little tiny rivalries but 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 i think it's there's so much more options these guys are having like silly twitter fights you know, it's on their Instagram. Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah. oh, I'm going to beat you. And it's not, like, it's not the same. I mean, uh, back then, guys were like, no, I'm going to beat your ass. Like, I mean, yeah. and you're saying it to someone's face. You know, or, you know, for me, I, had, I, I always had lines for a few of my competitors. I'll, I'll just go up to the line. I'm like, why are you do, what are you doing here, man? Like, why are you here? <laughs> like, it's, it's going to be a rough day. Uh, you know, so, I mean, <laughs> right? So, I'm just saying to you that it's, it's, it's different. Like, I, and, I, and here's the thing. That's why, you know, uh, we, I don't, I, I don't want to digress, but that's why it is that, I, I mean, uh, it, anytime this whole greatest basketball player in the world comes up, I'm like, I'm like it, it, dude, it's, it's Michael Jordan. I mean, Michael Jordan was getting punched in the face on the way to the hoop. Because, that, right? Yeah. But I'm saying to you that, that so, so, so that was us. I mean, in the 100 meters when I competed, it was a heavyweight uh, boxing match, but you're not fighting one person, you're fighting seven and seven at a time. That's a great way to put it. Um, so speaking more on the environment of track today, back when you were post-Atlanta win, you really never got any recognition or any credit from the American media. And they were very ignorant. And that was Bob Costas, Sports Illustrated, the Associated Press. Does that still live on today towards Canadian athletes in general? That sort of... We, don't, we, we recognize that you win this achievement, but we, we, we're better, Right. Is there that ignorance today still? You know what? First of all, uh, I, I, Bob Costas is a great journalist. Let, let, let's get that straight. He just, oh, got caught, sure. he just got caught up in something <laughs> that was way bigger than him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know what? It, it still does. I mean, I, mean, I think that um, the, res the responsibility of your country's media is to always support your athlete. I felt that I didn't get s enough support from Canadian media. Yep. That, that's the bottom line. The American media's responsibility is to say they're the best. It is. That's just, it, yeah. it is what it is. I mean, I'm just saying to you that if, 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 if it's the UK or Germany or, or, you know, Switzerland, if they got the best guy, your job is to go, no, no, we're the greatest and we're going to crush everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's what creates this. Uh, it creates news. It creates a little bit of rivalry. It creates support. I mean, I know that the greatest thing in the world, especially at the Olympic Games, is for an athlete to be serenaded by his or her national anthem. And what you want is probably, un you probably want unity and full support from your country when you're the number one person on the planet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you lived such an incredible, eventful, action-packed life. There's obviously, right? Um, how did you find the process of writing this book? Oh, God. This book was hell, dude. Um, <laughs> no, you know what? I, well, here's the thing. I think that, okay, like everything else, uh, I, I think that anything good, uh, anything good that, you, that, 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 that you accomplish in life, uh, you're going to have some difficulties, right? Yeah. And, and I think that writing the book, uh, it's taken years, man. It's taken years because there's, there's so much, uh, there's so much that's not in the book. Uh, uh, you know, I try to pack so much into this book. Uh, I kind of feel that because I've done it, 
I should I should do another one like real soon because yeah. because lots because what's gonna happen is that there's gonna be I'm gonna do interviews like this and 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 someone's gonna do some other read some other thing and do some research from back in the day be like hey dude you missed this and you missed that and like oh god yeah I probably did uh, but yeah th- listen the writing a book is not easy uh, talking about yourself is not easy mm-hmm. um, but uh, but yeah I I think it's very necessary for maybe like my children. Um, uh, the generation today, uh, because because ultimately you can you can write something, it's in print. Then you can do some uh, media, and and that's on video and stuff. So I think it's very necessary to tell our history and tell our rich history. Absolutely. And <coughs> lastly, um, with a career full of glorious moments through and through, what does the word glory mean to you specifically? God, man, that's a that's a big question. Oh. God, glory. Mm. Glory. What does glory mean to me now? I think maybe glory means the maybe the ability to live free for the rest of my life. Beautiful. Well put. Thank you very much for doing this, Donovan. Thank you. I would like to thank Donovan for taking the time to speak with us, a true Canadian legend and forever the greatest. Donovan has a new book coming out on October the 31st titled Undisputed. It's an amazing read and you can learn more about everything we talked about on this episode in that book. Thank you very much for listening to Detours. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok and subscribe to our YouTube under at Glory Sports for All 3. And while you're at it, if you can, leave us a nice review. It goes a long way and it really boosts our morale. That being said, stay safe and stay tuned for more of Canada's most impactful athletes coming soon on Detours.